KMTT, Kim Itzion Tetzay Torah, today is Friday. Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parshat Shlach, Chafbet, Chafbet, Sivan. And we have the Erev Shabbat program for today. Parshat Shlach is about the Maraglim, mostly, a lot about the Maraglim. That's why it's called Parshat Shlach. An interesting comment made by the the Trumat Akri. Trumat Akri was the brother of the Ktsot. His name was Rabbi Yehuda Kahana. He was the brother of the Bala Ktsot HaKoshen. The Pasuk says, V'avdi Kalev, Erkev, Ayita Ruach Acheret Imo, V'imalei Haray, V'habi Yotiv Ala Aratz Asher Bashamah, V'zaro Yorishena. Kashboch who says that it's going to punish not just the other spies, but the entire Jewish people. They will not enter Eretz Israel. He says, but Kalev, my servant Kalev, who was of a different mind, and he followed, he followed me, he went after me. I will bring him to the land uh, which he had visited, and his children will inherit it. So there are a few questions. First of all, why isn't Yoshua mentioned? Since Yoshua also, together with Kalev, will enter Eretz Israel. And they will be the only two who will enter Eretz Israel. But this pasuk says only Bavdi Kalev Secondly, the Tchumet Akriyas. What does it mean Ruach Acheret Imo? So the Prat, of course, is that Ruach Acheret, a different mind, a different spirit than the other Maraglim, right? Uh, but it didn't have to say it. If that's the Prat, then it should just say Bavdi Kalev Ekev Shemilei Acharai. Since he followed me, God says, since he followed in my paths, yeah, was it to say Ekev? So, the Trumat Akri explained as follows. He said, Yoshua, Moshe Rabbeinu had given him a bracha. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu changed Yoshua's name. <coughs> His name was Hoshea. And Moshe Rabbeinu called him Yehoshua. And Chazal explained the meaning of the name change to be he gave him a bracha that God should protect him from the counsel, from the plan of the Maraglim. So therefore, Yeshua really, the, the bracha was effective. And he didn't have a, a psychological crisis or conflict. He was never part of them. He wasn't connected to the Maraglim. God protected him from Atzat Maraglim. And uh, therefore, he was a really good person. Therefore, he came back and he disagreed with Maraglim and he told B'nai Yisrael that Tovah Ha'aretz Ma'od Ma'od, it's a very good land and we should go there. But, Kaleb didn't get that bracha. Why not? Good question. Different question. Not now. Kaleb did not get a bracha from Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, the Chubat explains, he, uh, the possibility, the havamina, the, the the inclination to see things the way the Maraglim, the other Maraglim saw Eretz Israel, existed, and that's why the Medrash says that Kalev went off on his own to Marat Machpelah. Later on, Kalev gets Chevron. It's his chelik because of this. Kalev went to Chevron to Marat Machpelah to the uh, to the Kivrei Avot. This is the graves of Abraham Yitzchak and Yaakov, and he prayed and he prayed, sure. He prayed that he should be saved from the counsel of the spies. But why would he have to do that? Since when do you pray that you should uh, not agree with somebody if you don't agree with them? The answer was that he felt within him the psychological conflict. 
indeed, he 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 was he was attracted to the possibility of joining the other Maraglim in their uh, attitude and their Lashon Hara and what they're going to say about Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, as part of his conflict, of his inner conflict, Subhan Midrash is describing an actual occurrence or perhaps a psychological occurrence. He he, he asked for strength. He, he, he needed to pray that he should have the strength to stand up against them. So in other words, Yoshua didn't have to work on himself, but Kalev worked himself for 40 days when they were walking. And then they came back to the Jews in the desert, Kalev was undergoing an inner, an inner struggle. And there's a well-known principle that overcoming your natural tendency is a different level of Avadat Hashem than one whose natural tendency is for the good. As the Ramam explains in Shemona Prakim, the, the eight chapters of introductions that he has to... Uh, and this is in Perek Vav of the of the of the Shemana Prakim. The Gemara says a man should not say, "I I can't eat tafas. It's disgusting." Lo yomer adami efshi lecho basabachalav. Efshi leboshat nizbechulo. You shouldn't say, "I can't do that. I'm physically unable to eat to eat pig." But you should say, "Efshi veefshi yomase veavish v'shemayim gazaralei." You should say, "Of course I could do it if I wanted to." I don't do it because God told me not to. In other words, the Ramam explains that at least for some mitzvot, the Ramam distinguishes between different kinds of mitzvot, but those mitzvot which are really God's will, they're not, they're not naturally evil. So the sachar, the, the, the merit, or the avodat Hashem, of those mitzvot is in the, the Ramam calls Moshel bin Nafsho, that you rule over your own soul, your own inclinations. You have inclinations in one direction, but you control them. And so, the Chumatakri explained, that's the difference between Yeshua and Kalev. And he interpreted the Pasuk, not like the Pshat, but rather, Va'avdi Kalev, Ekev Haita Ruach Acheret Imo, Kalev, because, or despite, because there was another spirit in him, not another spirit from the Meraglim, but another spirit from Kalev, because there was a, a, he had a spirit other than that which in the end expressed itself. There was a real habamina. There was a real possibility. There was a real mental struggle. And he had another spirit within him. But nonetheless, vayimalei acharai, despite having a ruach acherot different than God, different than God's mitzvah. He had a different spirit, different than what God wanted, but nonetheless, he followed God. So he, vabiyotib ala'aretz, asher bashama, he deserves a special reward because the fum according to the to the conflict, to the pain, to the struggle, is the reward. And therefore, this was a special status of Kalev to which Yoshua was not part. The point being, aside from being an interesting chat in this Pasuk and a distinction between uh, Yoshua and Kalev, is the principle, of course, the principle itself that we don't only admire people who are naturally sweet or naturally good or, or naturally close to God. But on the contrary, there's a special element in understanding that it's pos- perfectly possible that you have natural inclinations in directions which are not are not uh, admirable or not admirable by God. We don't believe that you have to just express yourself. On the contrary, Moshe Berucho, person is given the possibility, the intellect and the will 
and the power to acknowledge that he has an inclination or a talent or a personality trait in a certain direction, but he will control it or change it or channel it into the will of God and not in some other way. And Kalev, among all the tzaddikim in the Torah, most of them were tzaddikim, Kalev represents, according to this Jewish, Kalev represents that factor. We now move over to uh, the uh, spot of Arav Tavori. Rabbi Yaman Tavori will discuss the personality, the tzaddik of the week, the yard site for the coming week, Rav Yisrael Gustman. Rav Tavori, please. This week we will discuss the life of one of the great Russia yeshiva of our last generation, someone whom I had the privilege to hear and meet, Harav Yisrael Zev Gustman. Rav Gustman was, as a young fellow, a student in the yeshiva of Reb Shimon Shkup in Grodna. He became very close to Reb Shimon Shkup and was also taught there by Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, who was only a few years older than he, and there he met people who later became great Rosh Yeshiva in other places as well. As a young man, Rav Gustman was approached for a shidduch by one of the great Rabbanim of Vilna. We have to remember that in those days, the way shidduchim were proposed was a big Tamil Chacham would come to look for a shidduch for his daughter, and he would look for a, a promising Talmud, a promising young man, who would grow into being a Tamil Chacham, and uh, the proper arrangements would be made for the Shidduch. Included in these arrangements, generally there was a Bechina given to the to the prospective Chassan to see if he really was fit, found proper for the daughter of this uh, whoever it was. In this particular case, apparently the Bechina was even a more severe test. In Vilna at that time, of course, the Rav of Vilna was Reb Chaim Ozer. One of the Rabbanim of Vilna was Rav Egis, who wrote the Marcheshes. And the prospective father-in-law of Rav Gusman was also one of the great Rabbanim. His name was Rav Basan, who was one of the great Rabbanim of Vilna. It was somehow understood that whoever marries the daughter of this Rav Basan would eventually take the, his place in the Bezdin of Vilna. These uh, appointments went through family Yerusha. The uh, father's sons, sons-in-law, took over the positions of their relatives, and therefore it was almost understood that this Shidduch would not just be a question of who marries the daughter, but be a question of eventually who'll become a member of the Bezdin of Vilna. Therefore, this Bechina was administered not only by the prospective father-in-law, but Reb Chaim Meiser himself, the great Reb Chaim Meiser who was considered the Rav of Vilna, was considered one of the major poskim of that generation, if not the major poskim of the time. Reb Chaim Meiser himself administered the Bechina. And the story, of course, had a partially happy ending. Rav Gusman was appointed as... Well, first he was chosen to be the, the chassan of Rabbasan, 
But then an unfortunate thing happened. Rabbasan passed away even before the Chasana. So here we have Rav Guzman who was chosen to be the son-in-law of Rabbasan to understood that automatically eventually he'll become the Dayan or one of the Dayanim in the best din of, of Vilna. And right away, at a very young age, I think something that was unheard of in that in those countries at that time, Rav Guzman was appointed to be a member of the Bezdin of Reb Chaim Eiser. As a member of the Bezdin, he was allotted Sheilot during the week. Reb Chaim Eiser would get tons and tons of Sheilot. And what he would do is he would assign the Sheilot to different people. And like he would get a pile of, let's say, a hundred envelopes, and he would just pass them around. You get one, you get one, you get one, you get one. So Rav Guzman once told a story that very early in his dealings with this Bezdin, he saw that his letter in his pile, there was a letter from the Ger Rebbe. Now, very often, a Shailah was asked by a Balabas, what a serious Shailah, but this Shailah was asked by the Ger Rebbe, a Tamit Chacham in his own right. So Rav Guzman felt that it wouldn't be appropriate for him to answer this Shailah, so he sort of picked it up and put it in the pile that Reb Chaim Eiser himself should answer. And Reb Chaim Eiser said, no, what's in your pile is in your pile. We divide it by lot, we just gave out the Shailot. You have the the Shailah even of the Gerebbe or wherever it could be. That's your responsibility to answer. Of course, Reb Chaim Eiser himself approved the, the tshuvot that were written, but nevertheless, we see the accord that Reb Chaim Ozer paid to Rav Guzman, and we see the fact that Lemaaseh, he was a Dayan at a very, very young age, perhaps about 19 or 20 years old, a Dayan in the Bezdin of Vilna. Rav Guzman once said in America that he has no inclination at all, no desire at all for Kavo. He was one of the most Sonua, one of the most modest Russian yeshiva in America, although everybody knew that he was an Adam Gadol, everybody knew that he was a great Tamitacham, and his Svarim, Kuntrasei Shiurim, merely proved that he was an original thinker, one of the most original thinkers of the Russian yeshiva of that generation. Nevertheless, he eschewed the limelight and did, was not in, found in the in the mainstream of the Rashi Yeshiva of that time. So he told the story why Kavod means nothing to him. He said at the one of the Knesset Gedolos, one of those great meetings where all the great Rabbanim of Europe got, came together. So the day is that the day is they sat the greatest Gedolim of the time. I just guess who they were, but I would assume that, I know Reb Chaim Eiser and the Chafetz Chaim were sitting at the dais. I assume Reb Chaim and many other Gedolim were also at the dais of the Knesset Gedolim, which is a room filled with people. Rav Guzman mentioned that when he was a young fellow, he walked into the room, kind of late, you know, he wasn't one of the one of the people that would sit in the dais, he wasn't considered one of the leaders of the of the of world jury at that time. So he somehow walked in a little bit late and sat in the back. Reb Chaim Weiser and the Chafetz Chaim saw him, so they stood up for the cover of Rav Gusman at a young as, as a young man. They saw a young Tamid Chacham walk in the room, they stood up. Of course you can understand if the Chafetz Chaim and Reb Chaim Weiser stood up, the whole the whole Knesset Gedolah stood up. Rav Guzman said once the whole Knesset Gedolah stood up for him. 
including Reb Chaim and Chafetz Chaim, no kavod after that has any meaning whatsoever. That is the epitome of kavod. And now, the, his whole life, kavod meant nothing to him. It was apparently destined that Rav Gusman would take the place of Reb Chaim Eiser, eventually, and he would become the posek, the Rav of Vilna. Unfortunately, of course, the Holocaust took place, and Rav Gusman's life, although he had already been a Dayan, he already had started Yeshiva, he was already known as a Magadshir in different places, his life became, as you can imagine, one of utter hell. He ran from one place to another, his family was destroyed, he saw his family being destroyed, he ran to the forests, he lived with the partisans, he said that more than a hundred times, he said vidui, the final confession, because he thought his end was near. One time, all the Jews were lined up and were shot, and he fell, and somehow crawled away, he wasn't shot. And he saw everybody else being buried, and yet he crawled into the forest, and he survived. And how he survived, meeting Rev Herzog and meeting other Gedolim, and somehow escaping, is a story by itself. But he finally wound up in America, and his became a Magid Shir in America. But his dream was to reestablish the yeshiva that he had built in Europe. The yeshiva of Netzach Yisrael, of Ramailis, was to be rebuilt in America. And indeed he did so. But although everybody knew that Rav Gusman was a, a first-rate Rosh Yeshiva, a great Magadshir, somehow that yeshiva never took off. Somehow his life, he was destined to be recognized and known as a Gadol, but his yeshiva somehow did not s- succeed had few students, did not attain a major place in the world of American yeshivas. His dream then was to move to Eretz Yisrael and start his yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. And in, later on in his years, he indeed did so, came on Aliyah before 1973 and built his yeshiva in Rechavia, the yeshiva Netzach Yisrael of Ramailis. Life in Eretz Yisrael for him was the epitome of his dreams. Stories tell of his love for Eretz Yisrael and his love was so great that he seemed to have overlooked other issues which bothered many people. His son-in-law published some of the Svarim, Kuntrisei Shurim, posthumously. The Svarim that were printed while he was alive, the Svarim on Bav Metziah, on Bav and Kedushin are classics in the world of yeshiva literature. The Svarim that were printed posthumously, I think are, you can tell the difference between the original Svarim and the latest Svarim, but his son-in-law, Rav Berniker, was the one who, although he underwent a lot of trial and tribulation in printing these Svarim, apparently many of the tapes, many of the works of Rav Gusman were stolen. He even had his talisman and stolen. 
But nevertheless, Rabbi Berniker persisted and published the Sfarim. But he tells stories there about Rav Gusman's attitude toward Eretz Yisrael. He once went to a parade. When there was a parade, to see people marching. And people said to him, why would you go and see this? Perhaps it's not the height of Tznius. Perhaps people were not dressed appropriately. Perhaps there were other issues that could bother Rashi Yeshiva, could not bother Tamani Chachamim, could bother B'nai Torah to see at this particular parade, at the, the crowd. And Rav Gusman's response was, you know, to see children playing in the streets of Yerushalayim, to see what we call today the Tanakh coming alive, was a privilege that he felt so much that he was oblivious to other things. Legends are told how Rav Gustman used to go to be Menachem Ovel in cases where children were killed in terrorist activity. And he said that he used to come to these people and tell them his own trials, his own tribulations, people he had never met before. But somehow he identified with the people in Eretz Yisrael, explained how he, in his life, had undergone such trials, and he said his emuna and his kiyom mitzvos became even strengthened after the Holocaust. His love for Eretz Yisrael was exemplified to me personally when one summer we had the privilege of hosting him in Alon Shvut of Gush Etzion. One summer he and his entire family rented houses in Gush Etzion, in Alon Shvut, and came here to spend the summer. So we all saw him daven, we all saw him learn, but somehow I at least was rather hesitant in approaching him. One day I was walking in the street and I just bumped into him and he started talking to me. We didn't really know each other. Later I introduced myself, we talked a little bit, but right away he told me a Chiddush that he just thought of in Alon Shvut. And he said to me, Baruch Hashem, in the schus of the people of Alon Shvut. And he meant the people that he saw as the day-to-day people, the people that worked and built Eretz Israel. He wasn't referring to the great Tamri Chachamim who today live in Alon Shvut. He was referring to what we call Amcha, the regular people that live in Alon Shvut. He said, in the schus of the people here, in their schus, I was Zolcheh to be Mechadesh a little bit a little bit more than I ever said before. And I'd like to share that that idea with you. When he said a shear, he had a special, unique style of yeshiva talk, which I particularly enjoyed. I once attended a shear with him. Rav Bik and I went together to hear a shear. And at the end, he tried to answer a kasha of Rebbe Kiveger. Rebbe Kiveger asked the question, left no answer. At the end, he said, Vashem v'tzarech iyun gadol, Vashem ya'irenai. This uh, question requires great analysis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should somehow show me the, the right path. So Rav Gusman said, How dare I answer Akash of Who do I think I am? Rebbe asked the question, didn't know an answer, and I, and I uh, should try to answer it. So he said, But all I did was I followed the advice of Rebbe Rabbi Kiva Eger said, Rabbi Kiva Eger said that we require now a lot of analysis. So I sat and I analyzed it thoroughly, as thoroughly as I can possi- possibly do. 
And Rabbi Kiva Eger answered, Vashem Yoyerenle, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should open my eyes, should show me the light. And Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed me the light. So the answer that I'm suggesting is based on Rabbi Kiva Eger's advice. So therefore, don't think it's presumptuous to argue with Rabbi Kiva Eger. This was Rabbi, Rav Guzman's style. It, the Sefer of Kuntusei Shiurim shows time and time after again how he deals with Gedolei Israel with tremendous Yiras HaKavad, with tremendous honor and respect, but he always feels that with the great effort that he put into it, and with his chus of other people who ha- helped him to be Mechadesh, Hashem Heir Einav, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, showed him the light, we should all be Zoha to learn his Torah, that we also should have Vashem Yair Einenu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should light up our eyes to understand more of Torah. You've been listening to Rav Tavori discussing Rav Gustman, Rabbi Sora Gustman, Zechot Sadek Bekadosh Libracha, whose Yotzeit falls in the coming week. And a little bit of Musa I heard once about this Pasha. As you all know, the spies, when going through Eretz Yisrael, spent 40 days. Rashi, Rashi brings on the spot <coughs> that the, the cover all of Eretz Yisrael, the length and its breadth, should easily have taken 80 days. And why did it take only 40 days? Because they had the aid of God, what we call kfitzat aderech, kitzer alehem aderech, in Rashi's language. God made, the, made the, the road shorter. In other words, it was a miracle. They were able to cover the land in twice the, at least half the time that it was supposed to take. And why was that? Because Galui Lefanav Yidbarach Sheyigzor Yom Neshana. It wasn't because he was trying to help them do their job better, but on the contrary, because God knew in advance that when they come back and they would sin and they would be punished, the punishment would be a year to a day. As the Pasuk says, Yom Neshana. They spent 40 days looking at Eretz Israel and not appreciating it, so they're going to spend 40 years in the desert and not enter Eretz Israel. And since the punishment is going to be Yom Lishana, a day to a year, a year to a day, so God, in order not to punish the Jews too much, as Rachmanus, right, in God's mercy, He shortened as much as possible the travels of the Magulim, so that in the end, the punishment also would be shorter, 40 years and not 80 years. Rav Shmulevitz uh, asked the following question. He said, you know, punishment, I, I know it says in the Pasuk, Yom Lishana, but a punishment is made to fit the crime. Now, their crime was what they said when they came back. So, why, in fact, should the amount of time spent in the desert before entering Eretz Yisrael be shorter or longer, depending on how many days they spent it? They spent 80 days visiting Eretz Yisrael and then coming back and saying, don't go. Or 40 days and then coming back and saying, don't go. She had the same punishment. Ella. What, what, what must one say? It has to be that the fact there is an element of sin in the trip, in the touring that they did of Eretz Yisrael. The reason is that the reason why the Meraglim saw what they saw and didn't see what Yoshua and Kalev saw was because they were predisposed to that vision. They went there in order to see that the people were too healthy and the giants are too large and, 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 and even the goodness of the earth itself is bad and difficult. 
In other words, the 40 days they spent, they spent in, in planning their chet. It was the planning stage. They were, sh- they were, they were engaged in thoughts and plans and, 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 and preparations for what they would say when they, when we come back. If they had come and given a good version, we would have said that they, this was the preparation for conquering Eretz Israel. Their preparation was preparation for abandoning Eretz Israel. And therefore, the more time they spend in it, in fact, it is a greater chet. Okay, that's, that's point number one. That's an interesting point uh, that we measure. Not just what you've done, but the amount of energy and preparation you've put into it. If you put more energy into doing a sin, then it's a greater sin. But my real point is the, is the, is, is Rav Chaim conclusion. He said, and if that is true, now let's go back to the original Medrash, which says that God shortened their, their voyage. And from this we see, and he, in fact, recommends it to us because, you should do what God does. You see that how much of an effort God made to minimize the sin of the sinners. And in fact, he did a miracle. The Ketzirat Aderech. It was miraculous shortening of their journey in order that the sin should be smaller. Because we already defined that the journey itself is the sin. The, the 40 days is the sin. So it could have been 80-day sin. God helped them without even asking. But God went and did His utmost to minimize their sin to a 40-day sin rather than an 80-day sin. And this tells us and teaches us against the Habamin, against the thought that when you see somebody who is evil, who is doing wrong, who is sinning, so it's not up to them. I mean, you know, Halitenu, the words of Chazav, Halitenu la Yamot. Let him eat what he wants to eat and he'll suffer the consequences. So Chaim said, no. Here you see, if God is willing to change the laws of nature in order to even to minimize as much as possible just the amount of time that the sinner spends in sin, so so too we have to do the same thing. And sometimes we can do even better than that. We can perhaps eliminate the sin altogether or help him in other ways. But we have responsibility, no less than God's responsibility, to shorten, minimize, do what we can to ameliorate the sins of others, even the sins of others who are willingly sinning and who are ultimately defined as being Rishayim, sinners, like the like the Maraglim. And on that note, we finish for today. That's all for today. You were listening to KMTT. The Torah podcast from Alon Shfut from Shivat HaRetzion. Five days a week. I've noticed uh, recently, I occasionally check the service statistics, that the uh, amount of people listening to KMTT on a daily basis is going up. It's very gratifying. Personally, I think it should be at least ten times as much. And since we have no means of, uh, well, no intention, I should say, of actually going to street corners and handing out uh, circulars, I had thought once that maybe we should, we would go to traffic jams. We go to the Long Island Expressway, and we would just look into cars, and anyone who looks like, you know, potential, we would knock on the window and give them a flyer for KMTT. But that's not going to happen. So in order to reach even close to the real potential, what I think is this revolution in Torah we need that you should tell all your friends people next to you in the subway people in the cars if you go jogging in the park 
ask what they're listening to. Or just them, your friends, in their offices, in their homes. Great opportunity every day, five days a week, half an hour of KMTT. To have Torah as a regular part of our day. Kol Tov, Shabbat Shalom. We'll be back next week.